And I want to share with you this morning about setting captives free. The Gospel of Mark tends to spend a lot of time on casting out demons. Uh, uh, the, the declaration and the command to cast out demons is listed over 12 times in the book of Mark. There's only 16 chapters there. So Mark uh, uses the, the casting out of the demonic as a reference to the coming of the kingdom of God. In fact, uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 28, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And this is just a showdown of power, brothers and sisters. This is that Jesus, the Word of life, the one who created all things, He's coming into His creation. And as He's coming into His creation, He's casting out all the infection of the demonic forces. In fact, whenever He shows up, these demons cry out, uh, recognizing who He is, why have you come? I mean, His anointing and His presence is that strong. When the spirit of life is there, it casts out the spirit of death. How many of you know that? When light comes, it breaks and dispels darkness. And so when Jesus showed up, He came and the demonic trembled. And remember what the rabbi is doing. Rabbi is teaching His disciples to do likewise, to do the same. So if when Jesus came and He said, I cast out demons to demonstrate the kingdom of God, what should His followers also do? The same thing. There should be an evidence of the kingdom there. And so we turn to our text in Mark 9, verse 14, as I read to you. And when they came to the disciples... Stop. Okay, when they came to the disciples... Where were they coming from? If you'll remember last week, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the mountain, didn't he? And on that mountain, they saw Jesus in his full manifest glory as the Son of Man, the Son of God, in his future uh, reign and kingdom as King of kings and Lord of lords. So they're coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter wanted to stay there. He thought tents would be really good. But they're coming down now. So if the three were up with Jesus, how many disciples were left behind? Good math. Very good. So he's coming back to the nine. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, Jesus, they were greatly amazed and ran to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about? What's this dispute? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able. And he answered them, Oh foolish generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and fell on the ground and rolled about foaming in the mouth. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood. And it is often cast him into a fire and into water to kill him, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on him and help us. Jesus said to to the man, if you can... 
All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So most of them said, oh, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast him out? And he said to them, this kind is only driven out by uh, anything but prayer. Can't be driven out except by prayer. Now, Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John are with him. He sees a dispute. The scribes, the Pharisees are arguing. The nine disciples, his apostles, are there in the middle of it, of this whole commotion. So the question is, what's the dispute? That's exactly what Jesus asked. What's this dispute about? Now, a man who is the one who actually caused this situation says, well, I brought my son here to be delivered by demons. I brought him to see you, and so I asked your disciples to cast out the demon. Now, there's some expectation here from this man. What did he expect the disciples to do? Why would he even expect the disciples of Jesus to cast out demons? Because he did. And because they are his disciples. In the Muslim world, the Muslims understand that Christians can heal. In Islamic nations where there are Christians, many Muslims have no problem bringing their sick people to Christians because they know Jesus is a healer. And the disciples of Jesus should be what? Healers. This is an expectation that this man had. But something didn't work, correct? They couldn't cast the demon out. He was not cast out. Therefore, we have what? A dispute, an argument, where there is a declaration that is supposed to happen being Christians or followers of Jesus, and it doesn't happen, and we get into arguments about it. We get into disputes about it. You could say that the church is in this situation today. We're reading the Gospel of Mark. In this Gospel, almost every chapter we've read, someone's been healed, someone's been delivered, someone's been cleansed. And the manifestation of Jesus and the constant teaching of Christ to His disciples is, you can speak to the wind, you can speak to the waves, you can walk on the water, you can cast out demons, you can do this. And so now, here we are, followers of Jesus, And we're wondering, how come it ain't happening? And so the world disputes with us that your Jesus is a fraud, your Jesus is a fake, your church is weak, I don't even want to go anymore. That's where we're at. And oh, for Jesus to show up again to his church and to say, what's the dispute? What's going on? Oh, if the Lord would instruct us again, would remind us again of what we are capable of and what should be happening in our midst. So there's a dispute, and we see it even today. So then we have the rebuke, don't we? He says, I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. So Jesus 
rebukes. It says that he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear you? Bring the kid to me. Bring the boy to me. I mean, now here's the question in studying this. Who was he rebuking? Who was he saying, you're a faithless generation? It comes on the heel of the declaration that your disciples could not cast out the demon. Now, who's Jesus speaking to? Did he ask the crowd to cast out these demons? Did he ask the crowd to have faith that they could deliver this child? Although he says generation, faithless generation, so it seems broader. Now, let me read to you the same situation that Matthew writes in Matthew 17. And he says this, Then the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Why couldn't we drive them out? And Jesus replied to his disciples, Because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, Move here or there and it will move. Nothing would be impossible for you. So in Matthew, Matthew ascribes the rebuke to the disciples. In Mark, he says, why couldn't we cast out this demon? And he says, well, this kind takes prayer and fasting. But Matthew gives us a little more detail when Jesus rebukes his disciples and says, because you have unbelief. He rebuked him before, didn't he? Actually, quite often. That's what a rabbi does. That's what a mentor does. That's what a coach does. He's not giving up on them. He's chastising them. He's correcting them. He's saying, come on, you guys, let's go. You know more than that. And oh, the church could use a little more rebuking from the Lord Jesus Christ. But if there was more rebuking, more people would stay home. We just want to be petted and stroked because we're so insecure on whether if he loves us or not. Come on. Can we get past this? He already demonstrated his love for us and this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loves you. Now, if he loves you, he'll discipline you. But we're of a generation that doesn't like discipline. We don't want to be disciplined. But if we would be disciplined, we would become more disciplined. And that's what God's looking for. So, There's a big debate as to who he was rebuking. He was rebuking, if you will, he's rebuking Israel. Everybody there. Come on, people. That's me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. Why are you doubting? And why is the kingdom not advancing here that you can cast out the enemy of the kingdom, Satan? You can't do it. You're you're faithless. You're unbelieving. So he could say that to everybody. Absolutely. In a few minutes, we're going to see he's actually saying it as well to the Father. But I think within this, I don't know if you've ever had a situation where you need to rebuke someone, you need to chastise or correct, and instead of pulling them out you, uh, for uh, exposing them in front of everybody, you just rebuke everybody, and those who uh, know who should get it uh, respond. I think that's the disciples. You faithless generation. You're not believing. Now let me ask you this. What are they to be believing? They're to be trusting Jesus and the authority He has given them. What we are not believing in our day 
is the authority Christ has given us. We don't recognize it. It's Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1.17 that we would understand the power that has been given to us and the ministry that we've been called to. It takes the Holy Spirit to convince the church what we've been given. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Anybody? Do you believe He's Lord? Do you believe He's your Lord? Are you a follower of Jesus? Then He commands you to do likewise. But what we do is we want Him to do it. Pentecostals love this. Pentecostals love to see the power of God move when He does it. He said, I'll do it through you. I'll do it through you. We have got to take leaps of faith. If you want to see more demons cast out of people's lives, guess what you need to do? Cast them out of people's lives. You've got to pray over them. You've got to speak. If you want to see more people healed and more deliverances, what do you need to do? Step out and touch and begin to pray for healing. That's what we need to do as a people. You know, I've, I, I just threw away my latest copy of Christianity Today. Not angry with it, but I just don't buy into these magazines. Uh, every page is an advertisement for the next book that's going to make your church grow. And, and, and the next sign you should buy so more people will come to your church and the better pews and, and a different way to run the church and pastors need to be more courageous and all these things on how to make the church better. When I got a manual right here, I'm telling you, if we would begin seeing people delivered and people healed, we wouldn't need a new sign. We wouldn't need anything else done to the ministry except preach the gospel and people want to be delivered. They would come. What if, I was thinking about this in the front row, first, just while we were singing, singing that song forever. I'm going to throw this out there. It's dangerous to do it. I'm going to do it anyways. But instead of an Easter cantata to bring people in, what if we had an Easter healing service and Easter deliverance services and people got healed and delivered? Wouldn't that celebrate the resurrection better than a drama? There's no drama like the real drama of someone being delivered. (laughs) Nothing wrong with drama. Love drama. It's a great way to communicate. But do you understand what I'm saying? Oh God, we've got what we need here for church growth, brothers and sisters. We've got to get back to it. And so he's rebuking them. There's an expectation that the demons should be cast out by the followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave them authority. Can I, can I show you the signs of a faithless generation? Here are three signs we find in this passage of those who are faithless. Number one, they're arguing all the time. Arguing and bickering. You know what? When you've got the real deal, you don't need to argue anymore. Just go do what you've got to do. People want to argue with you. I get into discussions with people, and they want to argue. And after a while, after a presentation of, uh, I want to be able to counterbalance and this and that, after a while, you can tell they're just going to continue to argue. I'm done. This is a waste of my time. And so I need to move on and take the ministry of Jesus to someone who will receive it. And so here we are arguing why the demon wasn't cast out, who should have cast it out, why, what was going on, and and Jesus calls that faithless. Now there's nothing wrong with defending the faith. 
Peter says that we are to have an apologetic and a reasonable answer for the questions people have. That is valuable. Apologetics is good. Discussing and and having a defense for the faith is correct. But when you go into relentless arguing, you're wasting your time. Secondly, of faithfulness, there was a prayerlessness. They were not a praying people. These are the disciples. He said, you can't cast them out. Now, Mark, your newer versions say this demon can't be cast out except by prayer and fasting is what the older, the King James and some say. Newer manuscripts don't have the word fasting in it. It's because the most ancient documents, most those ancient documents don't have fasting. But I'll tell you what, you need fasting as part of a prayer life because Isaiah 58 tells us that in true fasting, fasting breaks the bonds of wickedness. So A sign of faithlessness in the church or in the people or the disciples of Jesus, a a pure sign of faithlessness or non-believing, is we're not praying enough. We're not praying enough. And we're not fasting into prayer. Well, what does prayer do? Does prayer give you more power to cast out demons? You know what prayer does? It gives you more faith in the ministry of who Jesus is. You're connecting to Jesus. You're connecting to the Father. You're praying and being one with Father. Therefore, when you see the enemy, you don't shrink back. You don't doubt. It's not about you. It's about him. Faith needs an object. He says, you faithless generation. Faith is not an entity of itself, as the faith movement would have you believe. It is not. Faith must have an object of belief. And all object of belief is God himself. And so prayer and fasting gets you into a place to see and hear from God. There are times where there are demonic forces and powers that are extremely tricky. They're extremely rooted deeply in people's lives. They're camouflaged and hidden deep. There may be multiple levels of the demonic. And without prayer and fasting, you won't have the spiritual intelligence, words of knowledge and wisdom to go after them. And so prayer and fasting is what you need to go there. I hope you'll understand that. We're going to pursue that even more this year. Now what is fascinating in this conversation, oh, the third point is this, disbelief. If you're arguing all the time and you're prayerless, where's your faith? Waning. Listen, I want to remind you of something. There's all sorts of arguing going on in this situation. And Jesus said, what are you arguing about? I want you to also see in the spirit realm, I want you to understand that every day the enemy is arguing with you. He's challenging you. You're under the strain and weight, not only of an atheistic community and society, but in the spirit plane, you have demons in the demonic realm arguing with you over your faith and your belief. How many of you ever felt this? This kind of oppression is on us. It is always questioning your belief, always questioning who you are. And we have that nagging sense of, yeah, well, I don't see it. I guess I can't believe it. But we're to walk by what? Faith, not by sight. And so you need to connect by faith in prayer and in fasting with Jesus. You need to be communing with Jesus if you're going to believe in Jesus. It's not enough for you to come here and listen to me. You need to listen to him. 
You'll leave this place today, and Jesus says in his parable that as you leave, the enemy is going to swoop down like a bird and try and steal the seed that didn't go into your heart. And so there's also arguing going on in your own mind and in your own heart. And so you need to stay prayerful, and you need to have trust and belief in God. Now this is the thing, the phrase that gets me, that turns this whole thing around for me in verse... uh, 23. Well, we'll start at 22. Jesus asked the man, how long has this child been doing this? And he says, since a young child. And the man says this, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, now why would the man doubt Jesus? Consider it for a minute. Why would the man say, if you can do anything? Why wouldn't he be like the Roman centurion and say, you can do all things, just say it. He comes and he says, if you can do anything, can you do this? Why would he question if Jesus could cast out the demon? Because his disciples couldn't. The reflection of the disciple is on the master. Oh, that speaks to us today. It speaks to us today. Brothers and sisters, will you be the church Will you be the assembly? Will you be the people who get back into this Word of God? And we'll wrestle with it. And we'll trust Him. And we're going to begin praying for people who are sick. We're going to begin casting out demons. We're going to do the things of the Bible. Come on, let's not forsake it right now. Because this world needs a supernatural Jesus. They need a Jesus that can walk on water. They need a Jesus that can heal the sick. They need a Jesus that can do these things. Now, it's going to take some time for us to muscle through this and wrestle through our, our mediocrity and our, and our faithlessness and our disbelief, but he's going to lead us through this. Will you be the people who will do it? I want to be. I want to be. I want to be that people. I don't care how big this church is. I want to go deep. I don't care how big. I want to go deep. I want to be that remnant, that faithful group that people know in the city of Roseville or East Point or Fraser or Warren, if you need something, go to Christ Community Church because they'll pray for you. And I've heard testimonies of what's happening. I want to be that people. Is anybody with me? You see, because the reflection of the disciple is on the master. And so the man questioned even if Jesus could do it. If you can do it, if you could, can you do it? And Jesus' response blows my mind. He does what he did before. He says this, if you can. What? If you can do anything, would you heal my son? If you can. If you can. Oh no, he's not. He's questioning man. What do you mean if I can? No, 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 no. Because look at what the man's reply is. He says, if you can. If you can, all things, if you can believe, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. He's responding to the fact that Jesus is saying, you believe for it. Because he's saying, I don't know if I can. So see, he understood that Jesus is turning this thing back on him. Again, this blows my mind. So the church says, Jesus, we had a prayer line right here. We said, Jesus, do this thing. He says, you do it. Jesus, you remember this? Feed the 5,000. He said, you feed them. Jesus, calm the storm. He says, you of little faith, 
Didn't you see me feed? Didn't you participate in feeding 5,000? Implication is you calmed the storm. Faithless generation, Israel, you're my people. You should know how to do this. So the father says, oh, if you can, could you do it? He says, you can. For him who believes, all things are possible. And this is what I love about Jesus. The man says, oh, I believe. And we know that because he brought his son to see Jesus, right? So there's faith there. But he said, there's an area of unbelief I have. Help my unbelief. And Jesus said this. If you have a mustard seed of doubt, I can't do a thing with you, we're done. Is that what he said? No. He rebuked him and said, you don't have enough faith, my hands are tied. God can't do a thing because there's no faith operating. Did he say that? No, absolutely not. In fact, if you will look up in Scripture, and despite what many teachers are saying out there, that every time Jesus rebukes his disciples for a lack of faith, he does it anyways. Oh, thank God. How many of you thank God for Him moving even in our unbelief? Don't think for a minute because you're doubting Jesus can't accomplish His purpose and will. He'll still do it. They were scared to death they were going to die on the water. They thought they are going to die. And He says, you men, you, you men of little faith, how long must I be with you? And then He calmed the water. So, uh, There's a teaching out there that you have to have a certain amount of faith for anything to happen. My Jesus just tells me, give me a mustard seed, somebody. Give me a mustard seed. He tells this father, you have have belief but unbelief? I can work with it. He can work with us. And he is working with us. He's he's not going to not work because we didn't hit the bell on the faith meter. How many of you ever seen carnivals? You hit that, take that big old hammer and you... Boom! And it it goes up to hit the bell. Right? And so we're praying for loved ones not to die. We're praying for the sick. We're praying for people to be delivered. And and they die and this, that. And we go, oh, we just didn't have enough faith. We didn't have enough faith. I really cried out to God with all my heart. I know He can do this. But when I hit the meter, my faith only went this far. (sighs) I don't believe that. I know my Jesus. First of all, let's start off with this. There's none righteous, no, not one. (laughs) Okay? Faith is a gift of God. He's given every man a measure of faith to work with. And from there, he works with us, his disciples, and he teaches us to have more faith. He will answer our prayers. But pastor, what about the things that we didn't see happen the way we wanted them to happen? Trust him and keep praying. Trust him and get back to prayer. I don't have the answers for that. He does. Get back to prayer and ask him. But don't get disgruntled. If anybody should get disgruntled, it's him with us. But he never gives up. So don't you give up. Help my unbelief. And he does. And and he sees the crowd coming. Because I believe he would have worked with that man a little more. I believe he would have told that father, now you tell that demon to get out. But the crowd started crumbing, coming, and everybody's all the, and, and he's going to cause a commotion and a stir. He sees him coming, he goes, all right, all right, listen, unclean spirit, get out of here. Out of here, go. And he goes. And here comes the, the faithful witnesses, and they look and they go, oh, he's dead. <laughs> 
Always the doubting, always the negative, always this and that. Jesus said, son, get up. And the boy gets up. And he goes on and he tells his disciples that if you would pray, you would increase your faith. If you would pray, you would know how to deal with this. For he says in Isaiah 58 that fasting and prayer loosens the bonds of wickedness. Prayer is not some kind of energizer that you plug in and get more energy or more power. You've got the person of the Holy Spirit completely. What it increases is your faith and trust in Him because you're talking to Him, you're hearing from Him. How many, if I told you all this, you already have enough power right now to cast out every demon you ever come in contact with? But you doubt that. You question it. And you shouldn't because the Anointed One, the Spirit of God, dwells in you. Does the Holy Spirit have no capability to cast out a demon? Does He reside in you? Yes. But we don't release Him and we don't walk in that authority because of our doubt. Well, if you'll pray and fast, you will not doubt what's in you. You're not getting more. You're releasing what you have. So I close with this. John 14, 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in Me will do the works I've been doing. Does that sound like a rabbi to His disciples? Let me say it again. I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater than these because I'm going to the Father. And so this morning I conclude with this. Pastor, you know, you've been, you've been reading the book of Mark and you've been off on this whole bit for healing and this whole bit for deliverance and this whole bit. Why you, why, why you got to talk so Pentecostal? Why, why can't we just study about Jesus? Because this book is a manual for those who follow Jesus. And what I've come to the conclusion is we're not following Jesus the way this manual says. I want to encourage all of you. I want to encourage you. Don't worry about the results. Be obedient. Be obedient. Results will follow. But let's first of all just do what He tells us to do. What we want is faithless. We want to see something Then we'll do it. He says, you're faithless. You'll argue with me. You won't pray to me. You'll leave it to fate. Well, if he wants to. I need you engaged, says the Lord. And the book of Mark is an engaging gospel. And so what I'm asking you to do, there are people here this morning, and there are people in your lives that that are being demonized. And there's no reason why you cannot begin praying in the Spirit, praying into the realm of the Spirit, praying over their lives and speaking for them and casting out the demonic. Binding the enemy. We need to begin doing this. Our cities are bound under the power of the enemy. Come on, the the world out there believes in spirits. The world out there believes in demons. Have you seen the movies? Don't go to them. Have you seen the trailers? It's all about the demonic realm. Everybody else believes in the demonic except the church. It's time that when you're someplace and you see something going on, you begin to bind that demonic realm. Look, don't be afraid of demons. Do not be afraid of demons. But they're going to jump on me. They jump on unclean things. If you're unclean, then you've got something to worry about. Jesus cast the demons into what? Pigs, the swine, the unclean. They can't. You're sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
the spirit of redemption. There are believers who are demonized, but it's because of issues that have never been cleared up after they came to Christ. They're not going to jump on you. Don't be afraid. Jesus didn't go into the villages, tell his disciples, now go into every city and village and cast out demons, but be afraid of them too. Just worry. Don't worry. You know, cover yourself as best you can. Run! He didn't even counsel at all. When it came to the demonic, he said nothing about being afraid of the demonic. You afraid of mosquitoes? You know, mosquitoes carry the Nile virus. They carry all sorts of viruses and everything else. Kill them. They're bugs. To the child of the Lord Jesus Christ, the demons are simply bugs infesting, infecting people. They're flies. You go in there, you swat them, you kill them. Start that. Well, it's not summertime. I was going to start practicing at home. Don't try and trap that fly and release it. Kill it. Smash it. So this morning, I went a little long, but it's essential. I want you to stand this morning. Hold on. I want you to stand this morning. If you want to increase your faith in Jesus to cast out the demonic, stand. means you're ready to fight. Now, come on now. This is not something... uh, That means you better pray. Cover yourself in prayer. You want to go to war, that's war. Now he's going to come back and he's going to try and do some things. But you stand. Having done all, you're going to stand through this thing and you're going to remain vigilant. You're going to stand. But I want you...